What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And if you aren't rocking a Mystery Ranch Fireline pack on your back this season, well, you're going to be uh, hurting by the end of the season. So that being said, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out their full line of load-bearing essentials. Oh, yeah. By the way, they just don't make Fireline packs. They make a ton of other stuff. They make solutions, load-bearing solutions for hunting, fishing, backpacking, traveling, snowboarding. If you want to go do whatever, they make a load-bearing solution for you. They're very versatile and they do it all. So not only do they make packs, but they also give back to the community and actually talk about this in this upcoming episode here with Mr. Uh, Mike West. You guys have no idea how much behind the scenes efforts they take to support the boots on the ground in the wildland fire community. It's truly impressive. One of the ways they do that is with the Backbone series. And if you guys aren't aware of it or don't know what it is, well, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out the Backbone series. It is a catalog, a collection, if you will, of stories from uh, the boots on the ground, the folks in the field about what uh, their experiences are out there in the field. And, oh, check this out. By submitting your story, if you so choose to, you have an opportunity to win one of the Backbone Series grants. Ooh, yeah. It's like a scholarship in a sense. Uh, yeah, so if you want to use that to go back to school or use that for, you know, up in your game with your photo, video, whatever, well, now's your opportunity. Like I said, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check them out. Thinker Point Podcast is also going to be brought to you by our premier coffee sponsor, and that is none other than Hotshot Brewery. It's kick-ass coffee for kick-ass cause, and a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. But aside from kick-ass coffee for kick-ass causes, they make a ton of other stuff, like all the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right, like camp cups, aero presses, coffee filter things. They, they make a ton of stuff. I can't even go on to like list all the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right. Other than that, they make a ton of other apparel, some wildland firefighter themed apparel. Yeah. So if you want to help rep that firefighter culture, that wildland firefighter culture in the field or off duty, well, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check them out. Also, they support us by slinging our merch. Yeah. So if you want to get your hands on an Anchor Point podcast t-shirt or some stickers or some other swag, well, like I said earlier, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com. The Anchor Point Podcast would also like to give a quick little shout out to our buddy Booze over at the Ass Movement. And if you guys don't know what the Ass Movement is, well, it stands for the Anti-Surface Shitting Movement. I don't know about you guys, but I hate seeing unburied turds on public lands. It is nasty and that shit needs to stop. So if you have a problem pooper on the crew or maybe you need to teach somebody a little bit of etiquette, well, now's your opportunity to get all of your poo-bearing propaganda needs. Go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement and check this out. You can get all of your poo-bearing propaganda at 10% off by using the code anchorpointass10. So once again, Go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement. And last but not least, the Anchor Point Podcast is going to be brought to you by the Smoky Generation, also known as the American Wildfire Experience. I don't know if you guys have uh, checked it out yet, but it's basically a digital archive, a uh, digital catalog of sorts of wildland firefighting stories dating all the way back to the 1940s. There's a collection of over a hundred of these and there are new contributors 
regularly, which is pretty damn cool. So Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization going on over there and you are always giving back to the fire community. So if you guys want to find out more, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out and check this out. She is doing Smoky Generation grants, which is pretty cool. So you have an opportunity to win a $500 grant, Smoky Generation grant to those folks in the field that are writers, photographers, bloggers, videographers, anybody who's telling the story of wildland fire. Well, now's your opportunity. Like I said, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and submit your story. If you get chosen, hey, you get a grant for 500 bucks to further your uh, passions in the field. So once again, Bethany, Thank you so much. You've got a kick-ass organization. Thank you. The views and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. going on ladies and gentlemen welcome back hope everybody's doing well and hope everybody uh down in the southwest isn't getting their asses kicked too hard also speaking of which speaking of uh fire activity we're getting some strange activity down in socal uh, looks like things are kind of heating up down there some some reason i guess it's not fire season anymore i guess it's just a year-round fire season so welcome to the new norm buckle up everybody it's gonna be a rough one so mental health Awareness Month. That is the month of May. And today we're going to kick that off with my very good friend, Mr. Mike West. I'm sure you guys have uh, seen his letter uh, that he put out there to the world when he left the uh, agency. But we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about PTSD. We're going to talk about his career and the things that he experienced. And we're going to talk about the uh, breaking that stigma and opening up just talking to people, man. We got to address the elephant in the room. And, uh, we got to have these discussions and we also got to get away from the stigma of uh, being perceived as weak if we seek assistance in the mental health department. So with that being fed, said, being fed, Jesus. Anyways, with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce my good friend, Mr. Mike West. Welcome to the Anchor Point. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today, today on the show, and Jesus, man, I can't talk. I'm like rusty. Like, <laughs> anyways, today on the show, I got my good buddy Mike West. What's going on, brother? Not much. Uh, made the trip over from Susanville. Oh, the Ville, huh? The Ville. First time back in Reno, I think, since COVID started. I'm so over COVID. Dude. Me too. Yeah. And like, villains go to Reno. The villains, the time. yeah, because I like I mean, the vernacular. Yeah, you're you're a villain. So, <laughs> a villain. You know, we go to Reno a lot to get stuff we can't get in Susanville, and it was weird. Not you know, I didn't didn't come over. It's been over well over a year. Yeah. So Kate went went to the Apple Store. Went to In and Out, of course. Got to go In and Out. Got to go In and Out. You have to eat the fries like absolutely like fresh though, or else they just suck ass. Yeah, you want them. Pumped right out of the potato smasher. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, it, it kind of goes to show you though. It's like, oh yeah, this is a real potato. If you fry it and let it sit there, it's going to taste like shit. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Preservatives make shit taste better, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, man. So tell us about yourself, dude. Okay. So, um, I was born in Vallejo, California, okay. where the region five regional office is. Ooh. I wasn't pumped about that at the time when I was born, but, um, <laughs> my parents, um, both worked in hospitals. So my dad was a lab guy, medical technologist, and my mom, a respiratory therapist. Nice. And, um, so they were both raised in the Bay area, but early in their marriage before they had kids, they had moved up to Joseph, Oregon, you know, Eastern Oregon yeah. and got a taste of the rural life. And that's what they wanted. So, um, when I was four years old, um, they applied for jobs at a ho the hospital in Susanville. They both got jobs. And so we moved to Susanville and, uh, there was three of us at the time. So I had two older sisters and then I was the youngest. Um, not a lot of memories of living in Vallejo, little things here and there. But once we moved to Susanville is kind of when my memory of life kicks in. And then, uh, my brother was born shortly after we moved there. And then a few years later, my sister. So, um, five kids in the house, my parents, big family, dude, big family, uh, parents worked really hard. I mean, we were never poor or anything like that, but my parents worked really hard at the hospital, you know, worked on call ER nights, night shifts, that kind of thing. So, um, they're no stranger to stressful jobs and hard work and trauma for sure. They're oh, yeah. kind of my heroes in that aspect. So, um, grew up in Susanville when the, the house we moved into, um, I learned about fire at a really young age because, well, my dad had worked one season in the seventies, just one season. And then after college and then got into his, his hospital career. So he told me a little bit about it, but across the street, uh, the superintendent of Latson hotshots, he, that's where he lived with oh, his family. Yeah. And his son was a little older than me. And then his daughter was a teenager. She was our babysitter. And so, you know, as a little five-year-old kid, I learned about hot shots and, um, that was around the time of the Yellowstone fires. So he was gone in Yellowstone and, um, I didn't have any interest in fighting fire. I just thought that was cool. Sounded kind of scary. Yeah. Um, grew up in Susanville, you know, little kid stuff. We did a lot of outdoor stuff, outdoor family, hunting, fishing, backpacking, the good life, the good life. Yeah. Soccer, yeah, yeah. uh, baseball, youth football, high school football, all that stuff. Um, and then when I graduated, um, my plan was I wanted to be a teacher. So, um, I went to Sacramento state and I was going to major in history. Um, my grandma, my dad's mom lived in Sacramento right around the corner from Sac state. Um, and education was really important to her. She was a retired physician and really cool to live close to her. And I went to school three semesters. I did fine, but, um, I wasn't into Sacramento. So, um, left Sacramento, uh, transferred just to Shasta college to junior college. Cause I wasn't really figuring it out. That's in last or, uh, that's in Shasta. Where, where's that? Uh, Reading Shasta Redding? college is yeah, in yeah. Reading. Yeah. I was thinking of Lassen college over there in, in Susanville yeah. proper. Yeah. Yep. So, um, after my first year of college, a group of us applied for BLM Cal fire forest service. Like there was like eight of us and they all got jobs and I actually didn't get hired. So that was my first oh, summer, you know, after, um, college. So it's summer of Oh two. And then, um, so back to spring of 03, I'm at Shasta college and I, I apply again and I do, I get hired on the type two hand crew in Susanville. So, um, that was my first season, uh, type, type two hand crew there in Susanville. Um, how was hiking Mo? It's hard. <laughs> hiking Mo is, is, is hard. Um, so that crew was a 10 person. We were like a fuels crew on forest that ran to IAs and then, um, 
if we went off forest, we were like an FSR forces regulars crew. And we'd go with another 10 person crew from another district. Kind of um, make a full 20 person. Crew. Yeah, yeah. Full 20 person. Um, that was a really fun crew. Um, it was mostly, and, and when I talk about my fire crew, it's a little different than some folks. Cause so many of the folks that I fought fire with were guys that I grew up with my whole life. So they, I already had really tight friendships with a lot of them. Mm-hmm. So then of course, then you fight fire together and then your friendships are even, even stronger. Even stronger. Yeah. And so, um, the guy running that crew, um, he was a, a hotshot in the early eighties and then he was a reading jumper for about 20 years. Uh, he's Susanville local guy and super tough, super cool. We all loved him still to this day. I love this guy. And Just a rad dude. Rad. Yeah. Just incredibly tough. Nicest guy, fun to work with. Cool guy. And so, um, that season we went off forest only one time to, uh, went to Montana with the crew. Um, but but I did fill in on last and hot shots for, for a two week role, uh, to Oregon, which he was a hardcore role. And I didn't know what hardcore was then. I didn't know anything, but we never do until we walk into the shoes. Yeah. Though. And, and it was, it was pretty tough. And, you know, we had, we had a near miss, um, and it, it kind of rattled me for sure. Um, I, it, it was, um, opening experience. Um, shit got real, real quick, huh? Yeah. It was like, um, I'll say typical now, but as far as what was going on in the morning, um, of course I didn't know any better, but you know, we were cutting this piece of line and it was skunking around hardly any open flame burning the heavies. And then, um, we took it kind of the top of this Ridge. And then in the afternoon we were going to bail downhill and meet, um, this other crew coming up. And I don't know who the other crew was. I'm pretty sure they were a type two IA crew. They had red full brim hard hats. I remember that. Um, and this was on the Umqua National Forest. It was called the Kelsey Complex. And uh, they were cutting up to us. And at that point, it was picking up like single tree torch and things like that. Um, mostly like lodgepole, probably some ponderosa pine for uh, manzanita, needle cast kind of thing. And we tied into them. And I remember we tied into them and they immediately just kind of RTO'd and left. Um, and so they left. Kind of like in the way that they knew something you didn't? No, I, no, I mean, we just had no it wasn't really going, it wasn't, it hadn't gotten bad at that point, but I, I mean, maybe the overhead would know more than, than I would have, but they just kind of, okay, cool guys. See ya. And they just kind of disappeared. Um, and then shortly after they left it, it started spotting and like, um, and I remember we were up mid slope and I was looking down and there was trees torching out down below us. And then there was an open meadow, but there was still some grass and intermittent lodgepole, which I wasn't sure if it would be a safety zone. Looking back, if you, if you prepped it, you're, you're good to go and you could prep it and burn it. Um, and then I do remember I started to get scared and I'm like, okay, this is the first time I'd been scared that summer. I'd been on a few IAs, but, um, nothing where it was really ripping. And so I asked, there was another fill in on the crew from my crew, but he had been a hotshot in the nineties. He had worked, um, on last in a couple seasons, he had worked on Tahoe and, um, so he had hotshot experience about 10 years older. And I was like, Hey, are we, are we in a bad spot? And he was like, Oh yeah, we're, we're in a bad spot. And then shortly after he said that the captain, you know, double time down the hill. And so we ran down the hill, um, the apprentice on the crew and another, there's a lot of fill-ins on that role. Another fill-in a local guy from Susanville. They, they got separated from us up top and they had to bail off the top of the hill. Over know, on right? the lee side of the ridge. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest of us ran down the hill and, by the time we were running it, we were on the hand line and it was like, it was ripping on both sides and it was hot. Oh, fuck. And there was like, I remember like 
running down the hill and a few like limbs and pine cones were like falling out of the trees. And, and the guy in front of me, uh, running in front of me was, he's a year older than me. Um, he had been on the crew a couple years. I grew up with him. Um, great friend of my wife, he, really good football player, guy I kind of looked up to. And I remember being scared and running on the hill and I was like, wow, or, or like, are he and I going to die on, on this hill today? And there was like nine or 10 other Susanville guys age like 18 to 22. And I was like, is this like, I remember just flashing through my mind, like, are all these guys that I grew up with or like, are we all about to die on this hill? But yeah. Fortunately, we didn't have far to run. So we bailed downhill and we get into the meadow and I look back up and the hill's just, it's just gone. An inferno. It's, yeah, it's, it's ripping. ripping. And so I'm sitting in the meadow and I remember, see, like the first thing I thought about was my mom. I was like, Ugh. like, I felt like a little kid. I was scared. You know, yeah. I didn't talk about this for years because I'm, I'm tough, right? I'm not going to talk about Dude, that's an identity crisis yeah. that you get into, man. It's but I, I was scared. Um, other guys were scared too. And I was looking around at the guys, in my opinion, who were the experienced dudes and, you know, two or three years on the crew, whatever. In my mind, that's experience at that time. And they're spooked. And um, so I asked that guy again, the the guy, the older guy, um, hey, are we, are we safe here? And he was like, eh. I feel a lot better. I, I think we are, you know, and then at that point, the captain was like, all right, you know, fire up the saws and start prepping these trees and get, get torches ready. Um, and then they sent a squatty down this dozer line um, to go scout because we knew there was some cold black around the corner. So he bailed down the dozer line. Uh, I don't remember how long he was gone, but he came back and was like, yo, follow me. So we all geared up, you know, and went down the dozer line and we were walking through the green, but it was all, it was smoky but there wasn't any like active spots or whatever. And then we got to the black Yeah, and we're cool. Um, and we didn't really much talk about it. And then um, we hustled over to another part of the division and started cutting direct line. And Just was, like nothing happened. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons we didn't really AAR at that big too, cause nobody really knew, right? Like that. Uh, uh, well, division knew because division picked up our two guys that went the other way. So division yeah. was spooked. He showed up in his pickup with, with our other two guys. And like, he was like, Oh, you know? Um, but once again, this is all coming from my perspective as a 20 year old first year, first off forest assignment. Yeah. Know. It's the first time you really experienced j danger, like yeah. true danger. And I really field. wouldn't have known that it was as dangerous as it was, if it wasn't for the guy, the older guy who had the experience, who was like, that was bad. I don't. And he was, he was angry. He was a little, he's probably pissed. Yeah. He was mad, you know? Um, and then, so I had other thoughts when we were in that meadow, like all these different things I didn't do with my life, like things I had been dreams and stuff I was chasing. Then I was like, oh, I need to do that. Cause I felt like, wow, life, that was the first time I really felt my mortality, you know? And I was, but at the same time, I'm a filling on a crew just trying to work super hard. So we went right back to work and fought hard fire and then went home. Huh. And, uh, I couldn't figure out if I, if the hot shotting was something I wanted to do, or if I just wanted to leave fire after that year, but the superintendent and some of the overhead were like, Hey, you did a great job, like apply next year. So then I was like, Oh, okay. Um, and I did, I got on the crew and then our first off forest assignment in 2004, another near miss. Uh, oh, fuck. <laughs> so we went to uh, the nut all fire in Arizona and, uh, we went down into the hole to chase these slopovers and, um, there was two region three crews down there and then another region five crew on a neighboring forest. So a crew we knew really well. Um, you know, what? I take that back. It was one region three crew, a region eight hotshot crew 
and then the two region five crews. And so we went down to the hole and we were catching slop overs and that fire hadn't done anything for like three or four days. It was just skunking around, but um, the nut off fires high, high altitude, like 10, 11,000 feet yeah. um, up above the desert. And sure enough, that thing started boiling up out of the hole and uh, we pulled the plug early and it was just a long, nasty hike out. And uh, it was, we were on the, a narrow ridge line and it was like boiling up the ridge line. As we're hiking uphill, it was down in the hole to our right, like coming up the ridge line, kind of racing us up to the top of the mountain. Yeah. Um, and the one crew that was below us, they stayed in like an Aspen Grove. And our superintendent was in that Aspen Grove too, because he was out scouting. So he didn't, he didn't come out with us. He hunkered down in the Aspen Grove. Um, and then half of that region three crew deployed on a, on a hella spot. Oh fuck. Um, and then the other half, I think made it to the Aspen Grove. And then there was one guy, a medical, I think it was like heart issues, maybe some rhabdo stuff, but he went down pretty hard and they had to pack him into the Aspen Grove. And, um, so us and the re the other region five crew were bailing up the hill. Um, and I remember we got to one point where the fire met us on the ridge line and it came up over the top of the ridge and kind of licked over the top. But what it done, it had crashed our burn from the night before. So there was a little bit of a buffer. Mm -hmm. So it crashed that burn and, and it stopped, but we had to stop and watch it like lick over the yeah, top lick of this over ridge. The top. Yeah. And, uh, while we were doing that, there was these two guys standing there and I was so exhausted at this point, I smoked from working. And then we had just eaten lunch. So I'm running up this hill on a full stomach and the line the, like sugar crash going yeah. on from lunch. Cause you know, they feed us so well. Yes. <laughs> and I was, I, I mean, I was scared. I was very scared. Yeah. Um, and, um, I remember the line was starting to gap like guys in front of me were like falling out. And, um, I remember the squad boss telling me just pass, you know, just go, go around them, which it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. But I'm, I did it. Um, uh, and then there's these two random EMTs and they were like these, these older gentlemen just standing and they didn't seem scared and they were just standing there. And I thought I almost hallucinated them. Like, what are these guys doing here? I didn't know they were EMTs. There's, that's what I read. In They're the just chilling later. up there on the hill. Yeah. They had, they had somehow come down from the top, from the drop point for whatever reason. Um, I read it in the report why I, I think it was maybe for the medical down there or whatever, but they didn't seem to care, which I thought was super weird. And I remember asking the guy like, how far do I have to go to the top? And he just kind of smiled at me and then. Yeah. <laughs> he's <just> a fucking <laughs> asshole. <laughs> he, I, I don't know, you know? And then um, we, so it, it, it kind of cooled off on the ridge and then up to the top, you know, we got to the top where the, where our rigs were supposed to be parked at this drop point and the rigs were gone. So when I moved them, so our, we were supposed to. Did someone it, move your rigs? Cause yeah. they're like, were they're going to burn up or. We, I, I, to this day, I don't know if I could probably ask the soup, he would remember better. There were, there was, I'm sure there was a reason, but there was a lake like a quarter to a half a mile away um, called Riggs Lake. I remember. So our trucks weren't there. And I remember the squatty who let us out. Who's also like six foot six, like 175 pounds. So trying to hike behind that guy, like, you know, <laughs> it's taking two, up. two <laughs> steps or, or you're taking two steps for every one of his. Yeah. Cause I'm five foot five, you know? So, yeah. And I weigh about that much. Right. So like I'm this little, like Oompa Loompa guy, you know, and he's like Abraham Lincoln. It's so, <laughs> just trudging up the chill here. Yeah. And so uh, we get to the top and I remember him being mad that the rigs were gone. So he's just like, walk to the lake. So <clears throat> we walked to the lake. Yeah, some water. 
And then we just kind of hunker down. Um, I felt safe at the lake. Sky cranes are dipping. Um, I remember we, we, we took a, a picture, like me and three other guys next to the lake with the ice capped column and, and the sky crane. And then on the radio, that's when I first learned that there was people deploying. So then it all got quiet. Yeah. And we just kind of sat there and um, we heard the medical traffic for the other guy. Um, and then eventually we heard everyone was okay. Um, eventually the superintendent came out of the hallway. This happened at probably like two in the afternoon, one or the two. Witching hour. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, later in the, much later in the afternoon, five or six, um, tied in with the superintendent and he gave us a good AAR. Um, I have a picture of the AAR. Someone to, I remember there's a picture of him sitting on the bumper. He drank Pepsi. He's drinking a Pepsi and talking to us. Um, and then, so that was on Mount Graham, which is way above Safford, Arizona, high altitude. And then we drove off the mountain, which took forever down to the desert floor back to, we were spiked, but we went back to ICP. And, um, by then our forest FMO had heard about it. And actually he contacted our parents and, and families to let them know we were okay, which I thought was cool. And I called my parents, um, and they were obviously spooked. Um, and then the next morning, right back up the mountain. Back to um, the same spot. Uh, pretty close because the fire had come up to the top and then we burned off a lot of roads. Um, but I remember one or two days later, we were up on that. We were going to go back down to the hole somewhere else. And that's when I was like really nervous. And I was, I remember sitting in the buggy and I was like, oh, like scratching my head. Yeah. You don't want to go back. I don't want to go back, but I don't want anyone to know. Right. Um, but still we finished the role. We come home. We have a good time. We have a good season. A lot of, a lot of active fire, not particularly busy hours wise, but a lot of active fire. And then, um, got laid off at the end. I, I finished the year really sick from, had some smoke inhalation, like weeks after the season, I was hacking from a couple of winter fires we went on and mm -hmm. in late season burns, it's hacking up black stuff. My mom, the respiratory therapist is like, she's like she's freaking like, out. She's probably having a convention. Yeah, she's like, what the hell, you know? And like, she did some tests on me and eventually it went away and, uh, you know, maybe two weeks after that season, I moved down to Santa Monica um, and I stayed with my cousin. He was, he's into filmmaking and I was doing stand-up comedy at that time in the off season. Like that was a hobby. That was like your gig? Yeah. So I was down there doing stand-up comedy nice. and, and trying to be, you know, do that thing and be funny. But deep down, I was like a little traumatized. Um, had days where I just wanted to hide out, but obviously not telling anybody, you know? Yeah. Um, and then that, uh, that off season, I went, I went back, I went to Chico state. I wanted to finish school. So I went to Chico state. Dude, I love Chico. Yeah. Chico's Chico. I had my bachelor party in Chico. Yeah. It sounds really weird, but dude, it was a, a freaking riot. Yeah. You know, I, I, I believe it. And something in that story, I didn't say after my first season, I went to that one, I went to Butte college and got an AA. And then after this season, I went back and went to Chico state. Um, good time. And then back to the hot shots and got on a saw team in 05. Um, not much to say about 05 other than it was a good season, good crew. We got a new captain that he came over, uh, from Plumas and he was a really solid captain. I uh, worked on my first year as a Sawyer. We went to Utah, Colorado, um, fought some fire in Nevada, California, traveled a lot, had fun, nothing sketchy. I would chalk 05 up as a really cool, not, Super busy, but fun season. Yeah. 
Um, and at the end of that season, I had gotten my belt buckle, which at that time on last you, you only had to do one year to get a belt buckle, but the prior year I didn't get it because of a mistake with AVU, the old hiring system. Yeah. I couldn't come on for the first two weeks of the year. So even though I rolled with every fire, I missed that first two weeks. So I didn't get my buckle. And I think looking back, that was probably why I came back in 05. You're like, it's something sacred about the buckle. Yeah. Dude. There, it, I don't know what it is, but yeah, it's definitely something to be said about that. So uh, I got the, um, got the buckle and then my plan was to finish school. And I knew I wasn't going to fight fire 2006. Cause by that point, all the classes I need to graduate were summer and fall only. They, I couldn't do them in the spring. Did you do those like interim semesters? Yeah. Like winter semester and then summer semester and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I went straight to school. Um, I was got a job working in the warehouse at Sears. <laughs> Woo-hoo. Yeah. And it I pales in comparison to what you were used to doing. <laughs> and, and I worked with this guy who had just got back from Afghanistan. So, so he was a Navy corpsman. So he, you know, medic. He, medic. Yeah. For yeah. folks that don't know the Navy corpsman or the medic in the Marine unit. So he rolled out with the Marines and he's a hardcore combat vet. So we're in the warehouse at Sears minimum wage and those guys get treated like crap by the public. So here me and this guy, I, you know, he was doing really hardcore stuff. And then I just finished a season on the lead saw team on a hotshot crew. And now we're minimum wage getting yelled at. So we, him and I became pretty good friends right away <laughs> and we still are. And so we're just, <laughs> just embracing the suck, yeah. the bullshit of corporate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So did that. I also worked in a burrito thing. Um, so summer of 06, I didn't fight fire. Um, and I still needed more school. So summer of 07, I didn't. And then I, um, I want, I graduated in 07. Um, and I wanted to go get a teaching credential, but I was like, well, maybe I'll go back to the hotshots for this 08 season. Yeah. Make a ton of money. And then I'll just go get my credential. And so I went back in 2008 and two years out, it was a rough readjustment to fire and 2008 was a super busy season, um, California. Um, but I had so much fun and it was such a fun crew that I, I put the teaching thing off and I said, well, I want to move to Truckee with some other hot Dude, shots. I love Truckee. I used to live yeah. in Truckee too. It's I used awesome. to live up in TD. That's where I live. I live in Tahoe Donner on, yeah, on Hansel street. So like, dude, I was like right around the corner. I think it was on black bear. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we would call it Hansel, like from Zoolander. We go Hansel. Hansel. <laughs> so, so me and, um, one of my best buddies who I'd known since preschool and I'd worked on Lassen with him. He was on Mendocino at the time. And then another crew member from Lassen, the three of us got this, rented this house in Tahoe. Oh boy. That must've been like a frat house. It, it was, it was, it was clean. We kept it clean, but we were, you know, we were pretty obnoxious, so, you know, yeah, gotta have fun. Yeah. And I didn't, that winter I was doing a, a lot of snowboarding. So I thought like I'm in good shape, but really I wasn't PT. So the 09 season I came in and I was, I wasn't in very good shape and kind of had a power gut. And like the first part of that 09 season, um, was, was rough, man. Those initial PTs. And I was like, Oh great. I'm that guy right now. Um, and then we went to the backbone fire. I don't know if you've heard of that fire. It's on the, uh, six rivers and the Klamath border, I think. Okay. Um, and that was just a hardcore brush cutting fire. So I went into that fire with a power gut and I left 17 days later with abs. Like I was sucked up and skinny <laughs> and I was eating four MREs a day. <laughs> just trying to catch yeah. up on your calories. Yeah. So forget P90X or eight minute abs. If you want 
to get in shape, go to the backbone fire and run a chainsaw. That's what happened to me. So, <laughs> and then Oh nine, we weren't very busy. We didn't leave the state, but it just seemed like every fire we went to was hard, like in the Canyon brush cutting. Um, and I finished that season. Um, and I was kind of lost I was 26 years old and I, I felt kind of like a jerk cause I showed up out of shape at the beginning and a really good buddy of mine from Susanville, um, had rookie at Reading and, and jumped that year and he had worked on diamond mountain hotshots and he had worked for Cal fire and, um, he lived in Westwood, California, which mm-hmm. is you're familiar with Westwood. Yeah. It's like yeah. in between, I guess, whether that be Reading and Susanville. Yeah. It's, it's ish. Yeah. Highway 36, maybe 20 miles, um, West of, of Susanville. And so he, little logging town. So yeah. Doesn't Hat Creek run through it? Uh, Hat Creek. No, it's close to a place called Walker Lake. So Hat Creek okay. runs through old station. On That's the, what I'm thinking. Yeah. Of. Yeah. So we, Westwood gets heavy snow. It's a, you know, pretty gnarly little mountain town. So he, um, he, he invited me to live with him and I started PT with him and I got in really, really good shape fast. Like we were getting it. Like, we were post holing through like two feet of snow running on the dirt roads. He was hardcore. We were up at six in the morning, um, lifting weights. We had a key to the high school weight room. If you came to visit and stay at our house, he would wake you up like five 30. Let's go to the weight room. Let's go go run. It. Yeah. So he's crazy. Run to the weight room. Yeah. And then lift and then <laughs> run back. Yeah. And so, um, stayed with him and, um, really fun, fun time in my life. Um, and then another buddy of mine, the, guy I went to preschool with, he got an offer to go, um, jump at McCall that, that off season for the 2010 season. And I had gone on the road trip with him and, uh, while he was applying and, um, just, to, I had no intention of applying, but some of the guys were like, well, you should apply anyway. And I did, but you know, he got the offer. Um, I wasn't really that interested and I was very pretty intimidated by that idea. Um, and then I filled out my paperwork. I was going back to Lassen and then way later on in the year, McCall called and offered me a job. Um, but I turned it down, even though I was in the best shape of my life, probably wasn't a good idea. I turned it down. Cause I had said, I'm already going back to last. And then you already committed to, I committed crew. To, to my crew. And, yeah. and I was, to be honest, I was kind of scared and that was this guy's dream. And I didn't want to like go up there and tag along. I was like, he's going to go do his thing. I'm, I'm out of the way. Yeah. And he went up there and he, he made it and he's, he's still jumping. And, um, but getting that offer kind of woke me up. And then, um, the guy I was, I'll just, the guy I was living with, he, Luke, she, he's no longer with us, but, um, he's Luke. He told me he was kind of like, Oh, um, he called me big Mun. He's like, Oh, big Mun, That was a bad. Idea. Like you should have said, yes, you know, you're, you're in good shape. You could do it. Um, so then I started thinking, okay, well after 2010, I'll do it, you know? And I went back to last in 2010. I had a really good season. Um, broke the pull-up record. I was running fast. I was, I was on it. Um, 2010 was a good year. What was your pull-up record? Uh, I did 35. God damn. It's since, it's since been broken. Some guy came for one year and did 40 something, whatever. Some I wasn't muscle there. hamster. Yeah. I, I wasn't there, but I'm just like, oh, he was doing CrossFit pull-ups. Uh, he was kiffing. That's bullshit. Yeah, no rep. Yeah. Obviously I'm sure he wasn't, but oh, so, shit. um, so that season went well. Um, and then, but all along, all along that time when I was working on Lassen, I was secretly scared to go into the hole. Every time we were going to go into the hole, I was scared. Um, yeah. 
and I, I would sometimes ask like the captain, like, Hey, where's our safety? You know, I was always that kind of like that guy because every time I went in the hole, my mind was either running down the hill or running up the hill. You know, yeah. those two incidents. How do really, I get out of this? Yeah. And I had a couple of scares like, um, in the 08 season, I was, a. uh, acting squatty as a GS4 because we had a, we hired a new superintendent and then shortly after he resigned and then everyone had to fill a spot up. And since I was firefighter one and called they I had to be this acting squad. I was in way over my head I, to be a squatty that year. I mean, um, but I remember getting spooked on a burn. It was spotting and it was loud and intense, but it wasn't unsafe. Everything was fine, but I got freaked out in my mind. I thought we were going to get burned up it kind of looked like the ridge on the nut all fire and i was like it's a slide man it's a familiar yeah. slide and so i was pretty spooked and also by that time i was i used to love helicopters but after in 08 um there was a the iron 44 crash on a neighboring fire that that happened i think on that same fire where i got spooked from the burn where we were good but um so i was i was secretly afraid to fly in helicopters i'm secretly afraid to go in the hole those are two really bad things to be afraid of if you're a hot shot yeah because that's critical transportation yeah and, and critical elements like hotshots go in the hole that is yeah, like their that's, mission. that's what you do that'd yeah. be like being a ups guy and being afraid to go to someone's door with a package right yeah like you need to go into the hole and so i was ashamed very ashamed and um wouldn't want to tell tell anybody um the helicopter thing there were other guys i knew that were actually scared of it more openly than i was so i was kind of like oh i would talk about that a little bit um but um Back to, to 2010. So the season's winding down. I finished that season actually in better shape than I started, which was rare for me because usually by the end, I was always really worn down. Usually everybody declines though yeah. in the course of a season. Um, yeah. But I remember, you know, like the um, the day after the end of the year party, like that Saturday, I went to the college track. I'm like, how fast can I run? And I ran my fastest mile and a half ever. is like really low nines, which I know for real strong runners, that's not like anything special, but for a five foot five, little oompa loompa like dude i'm running it's pretty good yeah like i ran like a 910 i'm like all right i'm feeling good doing over 30 pull-ups um feeling great and then uh a couple weeks later i hurt my back and that was like this tanky, downhill spiral. downhill and it mostly the reason it was downhill because i didn't handle it how you're how you should i didn't it was like the first kind of big injury adversity that i had i'd had um little broken bones and I had a couple of hernia surgeries in high school football, but those healed really fast. Like here's the hernia, here's the surgery, take six weeks off. You're good. But yeah. My back, it wasn't healing. It hurt all the time. And I was, I was laid up. Um, I was miserable. Um, and at this point I, I was with my wife. She was my girlfriend at the time we had been together about, let me think here, maybe going on a year. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was having this like pity party. Like, no, I'm supposed to go be a smoke jumper. My back hurts. I can't get out of bed. I'm, you know, you're down. Yeah. I'm down. And I was trying everything from chiropractors to um, cortisone shots to, oh, God, I did it. I did everything Ooh. except surgery. And I couldn't, I couldn't get this thing going. I couldn't run. I couldn't lift weights. Um, I had put in an app to jump and I called him and I pulled, I told him to pull it. Pulled your app. Yeah. And I was tw 28 years old. And I was just thinking, okay, well, I'm a seasonal, I'm laid off. I don't have a job. I'm hurt. Like I got to figure out what to do with my life. I don't know what's going on. I can't go back to the hot shots because I can barely walk. 
Um, and so I put in for the engine, um, which was a really good engine. I knew all the guys on it, loved the captain and the, and the FEO and, um, mostly it was mostly X Lassen guys. And so I got on the engine at Eagle Lake and it was a really fun season. It was, it wasn't very busy. I think we just went to Texas and a few other things, but. What year was that? Uh, 2011. Oh yeah, dude. Texas year. Yeah. So that was, I actually got burned in Texas. I fell into an ash pit and just pretty good scar on my leg, but. I made the mistake of cutting into an oak with a, the fire ants. Nest oh, did you get, oh, you get ripped I up? I lit the fuck up, dude. It sucked. Texas was good though that year. Well, it wasn't good, but there was a lot of rolls in and out of Texas that year, man. It was busy down there. It was busy and the locals were super cool. That's Isn't the thing weird? I remembered about Texas. Like you fight fire in the Klamath. No, I'm not saying everybody up there, but on certain parts of the Klamath, the Mendo, the Shasta T, the pl places I went, you know, you get middle fingers and oh, people some, don't like uncle Sam up there. Yeah. And not everyone, but rule, you remember rules. the ones who don't like on the Shasta T one time I remember driving on this road, this guy was outside, you know, kind of had a little ramshackled cabin and he was out with a garden hose and I was driving the buggy and, um, he sprayed me like he sprayed water into my face, into the, into the we, open we were cab. so close yeah, into the open cab. And then the middle finger. And, oh, so I go to Texas and people are like, come stay at my house. Like, yeah, dude. come back this winter and we'll hunt hogs. And I'll do that Southern hospitality thing. It was crazy, man. Cause we were doing, I was on an engine down there rotating out. We were just flying people, cycling people out in and out of there. And, uh, I'll never forget on the bass drop fire. We came up on this one community and, uh, this couple comes out and they're, they're literally sifting through the rubble of their burnt down home. And then you got, the husband out there who's barbecuing and the family's all sifting through the rubble of their house. And like, you guys want some food? We got water and everything. I'm like looking at these poor people and they just lost everything. I'm like, no, no, do you guys need anything? But they just would not, not take anything from us. No water, nothing, mm -hmm. no Gatorade. And they just doing their thing, man. They're just very nice people. They're like offering to buy us food and stuff. I'm like, dude, no, no. Yeah. We, okay. we had to tell people in restaurants cause we're like, we have a government credit card. Stop trying to, Mm -hmm. to buy our food um yeah it texas it was it was flat but it was so hot was so and, miserably and that's hot. the reason I, I got hurt like i was bucking logs mopping up and i was like just drenched with sweat just mm -hmm. drained and i just got like dizzy and went down and um i had taken the chaps off to like take this break and i put my shin and knee like into this ash pit oh um and it <laughs> So the guy, the captain didn't go with us because he also hurt his back. So it was the FEO who's a pretty hardcore, um, old school hotshot. And he, he was like that, that happened. And he was kind of like, oh man, Wes, like I take you out here, you get hurt, blah, blah. And then a few days later, um, we were on a fire and we had to bail because a thunderstorm was coming in and we didn't want to get stuck in the mud. And I had my tool is like a bent shovel rhino mm -hmm. on the ground and I turned to run and I stepped on the edge of the rhino and it came up. <laughs> it's like the Simpsons. Yeah. So <laughs> was that sideshow Bob, dude? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I got this scar on my face and I'm bleeding all down my face and the lightning and the rain. I come running over and he's like, West, you get burned. He's like, then you smack your face with the old rake trick. Like I can't take you anywhere. So, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, and so that, you know, Texas was good. We drove home. Um, I remember on the way home, we stopped at, um, at storm King and did that yeah. staff ride. And, um, that was pretty emotional experience. I had been there before after the 08, 08 season, I had traveled out to Washington DC where my sister lived. And then I took the train all the way home to Truckee, but I stopped in, um, 
Glenwood Springs and did that walk. And so yeah. I've been there a couple of times and I had been on a, a few fatality fires. I went to one my first year um, where someone had burned over and we got there the next morning and worked in that division right where the fatality site was. And oh. I remember walking by it and the, and the, the person who passed away, I didn't know them. It was a young lady and she was about the same age as my older sister. And I, I mean, I was like very secretly emotional about that, of course, because at that time, I'm not, I don't want to tell anyone, but I was spooked and I was up. It really up, rattled me um, and a few others. And then going to Storm King, I remember that had, it was all in the back of my mind, you know? Um, but then 2011 ended and my back, my back hurt that whole year. And I had moments where I couldn't, I had to call in sick a couple of days cause it would seize up. And, um, I wasn't in very good shape, you know, I was kind of barely hanging on 2011 and luckily it wasn't a busy season on that engine. Cause I probably wouldn't have been able to hang. Yeah. Um, and that season ended and I just thought, you know what? I've put off this jumping thing. I, I'm going to apply and I don't care about my back. I'm just going to do this. Right. That's what I told yourself, told myself, which was really dumb. And um, I applied, got the offer, said, yep, I'm going to do it. Um, I trained as hard as I could in just a lot of pain. Um, then I started having all this, this anxiety building up. Some of it I think was from my fire career. Some of it was probably because I just put so much pressure on myself to go do this to thing, right? Jump. To yeah. succeed. Um, and when I noticed from like my my starting numbers in January, that's, you know, your numbers, your mile and a half, all that stuff. Yeah. We're pretty decent, even for how much pain I was in. Um, you know, I was pull-ups were in the high twenties and it was like a nine thirty mile and a half. I'm like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. But as the winter went on, the numbers are supposed to get better and they're, they're not, declining. They're, they're declining. Were you and overtraining or? I think so. I was probably overtraining for the pain that I was, that I was in. Yeah. I was running a lot. So I thought I'm a slower runner, like weight room calisthenics was like, a strength of mine. Like even in high school on the football team, I was small and I sucked at football, but I could lift weights and I was strong. Yeah. And so I thought it's because short people do. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're the best lifters. So like, I'm going to double down on this running and I just ran and I ran and I ran and I ran. And, um, you know, I got home one day, I went and ran like 14 miles and Luke, she had asked me, he's like, well, what, what's your training? What are you doing? And I was like, I, oh, I just went for like this 14 mile run and then I'm going to run 10 miles tomorrow. And he's like, dude, stop. Like you're, you're not doing this right. And I yeah. didn't, I didn't, why wouldn't I listen to someone who knows, but I didn't. And I just kept Cause just beating the shit out of yourself. Yeah. And my, and then I was like losing my appetite and I wasn't sleeping and I was having like anxiety and nightmares. And I was like super depressed and, um, it was getting bad. Like my mental health, what I needed to do, what I should have done looking back, which I didn't want to, but like, okay, this isn't going to work. Stop this jumping idea. Like you need to go get mental health treatment. Like you're having a mental health crisis. And yeah. I was, and I'd had moments in those two seasons where I didn't fight fire in the summer where I was living in Chico and it was super hot and I would just stay in my apartment. I lived by myself, like the air conditioner on like sleep till one. If I was on a day off and just like lay in bed and just be depressed and, or be anxious, afraid to go outside. All these things that are red flags, right? Yeah. You should, you're having mental health problems and I wasn't dealing with it. And all that was coming back. And then, you know, I needed to report up to Idaho in like late May and like come April, like I was doing that same stuff again. Like I'm laying in bed and my living with my girlfriend, she's like, what are you doing? Yeah. What the hell's going you know? on? And I'm, I'm underweight. Like, I think I was like 143 pounds, which it, 
I'm a stockier guy. Like I'm more comfortable, safe around 155, 160-ish is probably where I should be. I'm 143 pounds, sucked up, got bags under my eyes. I'm like crying all the time. Like having suicidal thoughts is all bad. This is like, this is just terrible, terrible. My back hurts. I'm anxious. So when you, as you know, if you're going to go jump or you're going to go be a new guy on a hotshot or anything like that, you need to be dialed in, dialed in physically and mentally. Yeah. I'm a mess. I'm a disaster. And, but I'm, I thought about pulling the plug and I just was like, nope, I can't. So I go up there. Um, my best friend, he works up there. He's been up there and I'm like terrified. I'm going to let him down. Cause all of those guys are like, what's with your buddy. And sure enough, dude, I washed out the first day. Of course I did. How could you not? If that's what your, if that's what your that's status, what your is, status is, yeah. you know, and it's all my fault. I don't want to make excuses and say, Oh, I was having, oh, I have a back hurt or oh, I was having a mental health crisis. Well, the reason those things were happening is because I wasn't handling it. Yeah. I was trying to tough out something that I shouldn't have and I paid the price for it. And so, yeah, like, one day wash out, but I have to live with it. Um, hundred percent my fault. No excuse. I would just say to anyone that finds himself in a situation where you're having those mental health issues, like this is the cot, this is what you're gonna do to you. You're gonna ruin yourself. Yeah. And then so I gotta drive home back to Susan. It's like the longest drive yeah, of I shame I ever, too. I didn't yeah. want to drive home. I didn't want to go home. Yeah. Like I thought in my and, and here's the thing about that to my family and friends. And even my buddy up there and probably some of the people that work there, it, to them, it's not that big of a deal. Like it sucks. And I feel bad because I screwed somebody else out of a job that could have taken it. And, um, but to a lot of people, they were just kind of, they were bummed for me. But in my own mind, I thought I'm trash. I'm garbage. Like that's what I did. I got worst critic, like. Dude, well, that's a common thing across all firefighters. I'm like still to this day, mm-hmm. even though I'm far removed from fire, I'm three years out at this point. I'm still my own worst critic. Mm-hmm. And if I fail at something, dude, I beat the fucking shit out of myself. And when you, I've, I know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. about washing out from a crew. I washed out from a, a hotshot crew and yeah, dude, that was one of the worst things of my life, man. It sucks. Yeah. But you have these unrealistic expectations of yourself and you continue on that because the expectations are so high in general, you know, when you're just Joe firefighter, like mm-hmm. I get it, man. Yeah, it was, it sucked. And, and there was another guy from Susanville who's a, he's a teacher at a local school, but he, he had jumped up there um, seasonally and I knew him and, and he was an old Lassen guy from the eighties. And I felt like, Oh, I let him down. I let my buddy up there down. I let my parents down. I let my girlfriend down. I let all these people down. And once again, so, I yeah. I choked handling the back injury, getting down on myself and then washing out of jumping instead of just taking it like a man and going, okay, I screwed up back to the drawing board. I, I dwelled on it and I still do at times, but I've finally gotten to a point where I'm like, all right, whatever. I got to get over it. Yeah, um, it's in the past, man. Yeah. And so that season, luckily that my engine took me back and I went back to the engine and kind of midway through the season, my back finally kind of stopped hurting. And I got back in the weight room and I started running. And by the end of that season, lo and behold, like I was healthy again. I was in shape and I was like, okay, like, what do I do now? I'm 29. I can't be a temp anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I got to figure this out. So I applied to the crew that I started on the type two crew, which had in those years become a type two IA crew. So I got a squatty job on the type two IA crew, uh, season of 2013. Um, and off we go, um, without going into really a lot of detail on that year, um, the crew 
didn't see eye to eye with the superintendent. I didn't at all. So we didn't get along. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty hostile, which, which is never good. It's never good. No, it, and it was, it was pretty bad. Um, and then we go on our first off forest assignment. It was called the powerhouse fire, um, in Palmdale down in Southern California. Um, and I was, we were a couple days in, uh, we'd been cutting brush. I remember Tahoe hot shots was up there, a couple other crews and I was swamping and I was trying to show some of the newer guys, like, this is how you swamp, you know, you grab this man's knee and you grab a shit ton of brush. And, yeah. You yeah. throw it around. I'm like, lay into it. Yeah. And I'm getting like all pumped up and I grab a really heavy manzanita. It's like, like this big around and it down on the bottom, it's got this little hook of a branch. Well, I didn't see it, but it had hooked into my yellow uh-huh. and I grab it, you know, I'm right-handed, but I threw it this way and it stayed hooked and it went oh. up and it pulled my shoulder right out, right out of dislocated shoulder. And I'm up on this hill a couple miles from the trucks. And then just when I was a kid, my mom would always dislocate her shoulders by, you know, she, she was a swimmer in high school. So I remember moments where she would just scream and I instantly got understood why. Oh God. Oh yeah, dude. This it is sucks. bad. And I remember times where she got it back in on her own, not lethal weapon style Mel Gibson, <laughs> but like by like sitting down and like, so I'm trying to get it. I eventually got it to slide back in. I don't think it was out longer than a minute, but it felt like an eternity. And then I knew I had to hike off the hill. So I hike off the hill um, and then uh, superintendent, he takes me to the hospital and right, this is amazing. Right away, like go to the, they put us in the urgent care, urgent care straight to the MRI machine. So within like 30 minutes of being in the hospital, I'm in the MRI machine. That's pretty impressive. That never never happens. happens. Yeah. Not even ever. And so they MRI'd me and then uh, got my results that day too. And they're like, oh, the, they had an orthopedic guy there and he came out and he was like, okay, you don't need surgery, but if you screw it up even a little bit, you will. So take two months off. This is a oh, physical therapy plan. No. And I thought, okay, I thought about it for a second, but then I remember my mom's mangled shoulders. I'm like, oh, fine, I'll do it. And plus I wasn't getting along with the soup and I was just like, whatever. It was like fine. convenient escape yeah, route. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm going <laughs> to lose a bunch of money, but this is fine. So, um, we, we come home from that fire. Um, we got home around like June 8th and then, um, we're on, I'm on light duty. There's lightning locally. Um, and then I remember June 10th toward the end of the day, it's like five o'clock. I had talked to the district FMO for a little bit, just BSing about old times. He's an old lasting guy. And then on my radio, I heard some traffic like really scratchy and I don't, I didn't even see what frequency it came over of like a firefighter down and they need, um, a helicopter, but it was really scratchy. And that was all I heard. And I was like, oh, what's that? Um, and my crew had just pulled back in a station and couldn't tell where it was coming from. Cause we scanned Cal fire and BLM. So, okay. Whatever. Yeah. So I go home that night and then take a shower and I'm, I'm in my room. Um, I'll just give a disclaimer. So I'll probably cry on your show today. That's, and I don't, that's completely fine. Yeah. Man. And like, I used to not, I used to try to fight it, but like, if you told a funny joke, I'm going to laugh. Right. That's my response. So if yeah. I talk about something sad, you know, I'll probably cry. So, um, I look at my phone and I have a missed call. It's like nine o'clock at night from a buddy of mine that I used to work with on Lassen, but he's now a Reading jumper. 
And he's a good friend of mine, but we don't talk all the time. So that's weird. A missed call from him this late. So I call him um, and he answers and he just says, he just tells me, Hey, you know, there was an accident up on the Modoc and you know, Luke, she got hit by part of a tree or a tree and he, he didn't make it. Um, so I dropped the phone, you know, I'm in a towel from the shower and I, I remember I fall on the floor and I just start yelling at weird sounds. I've never even heard myself make. And my wife's in the other room. Well, she's my girlfriend at the time, but she thinks I redislocated my shoulder. So she, cause I'm only a few days removed from that. So she comes running in and she's like, Oh my God, your shoulder, your shoulder. Um, so I have to tell her she's also very good friends with Luke because we all grew up in Susanville. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, when I met Luke, I was four and he was two. He was, his sister is my age. His parents are friends with my parents. All our siblings ran around. So this was, this was just horrific. And so I have to tell her like, you know, you know, Luke died. Luke's, Luke's dead. And, um, Luke was a big part of our relationship because I was living with Luke when her and I got together too. And he was kind of the one that was like, she's great. You really like her. You know, he kind of, like say a, wingman. a wingman. Like I wouldn't say he set the relationship up, but he was a big part of it. Um, so now the two of us are crying and I, I know that now I, I have to go up to my parents' house, which is maybe like a quarter mile away. And, and I have to tell my parents this. So I walk, I walk into my parents' house. It's like nine 30 at night. And I'm just tears coming down my face and both my parents, they think I dislocated my shoulder. They're like, Oh, your shoulder. No, no. You guys got to sit down. So then I tell them and they're losing it. And it's just that. I mean, and I, uh, I don't remember really the rest of that night. I know I went home and I had to work the next day. And I remember I could, I kept stop. I would stop breathing. I would just, and I'll just, and then my wife, like, you gotta, you gotta breathe. You gotta breathe. Um, and I remember I woke up as the sun was coming up and, and I'm just laying in bed. I'm just crying. And she's telling me, you know, you gotta breathe. And I shouldn't have even gone to work, but nobody else knew. Nobody else in town knew. And, um, I got to work and my old engine captain, um, I had played a prank on him the day before I found a, a Spice Girls cassette tape. And I, he had a cassette player in his pickup <laughs> and I slid it in there. So that's what would turn on when he got in his truck. So he sees me, he comes running over to like laugh and, you know, Hey, did you do this? And he, he's like, Hey, did you put that in there? And I was, you know, yeah. And he looks at me and immediately he's like, he knows, he knows something's up. So yeah. I tell him and then it goes through the district office, but not just fire people. Cause there's people in all the different shops know them or their kids went to school with them or whatever. And, um, so at that point I just go home. I'm like, I'm, I'm on light duty. I have nothing to contribute here. I'm, I'm going home. And I took like a week off and I went, uh, the FMO talked me into going to EAP and to a SISM, which I don't remember much of. And then, uh, they brought Luke's body home to the Susanville airport and uh, that, 
that was really, really rough. It, the metal coffin with the flag over it and then procession through town. Um, and then his, his funeral was scheduled scheduled for, I think it was, there was two, there was one in Westwood and there was one at the writing convention center, June 22nd and 23rd, but my sister was getting married June 21st. So I went to my sister's wedding June 21st and I'm trying my best just to keep, just keep it, keep together. it together. And I did, I had fun. I, I love my sister. I love her husband. I so happy for him. The wedding was, uh, at this cool spot, uh, by Portola on the plume, the, Oh, now I can't think of the name. It's off Highway 70, this awesome resort by uh, Portola. Um, the wedding was great, but then I had to go to these these two funerals. But I wasn't really grieving it because I was just, I was just still in shock. Um, and then a week later was the Granite Mountain incident, which I didn't know anyone on Granite Mountain, but I'm going to be, I was rocked by that. Um, I got a text about it while I was at my wife's house with her family and some other family from out of town. And I just like see this. And now I'm like, immediately, I just want to go home. I don't want to be at dinner. I don't want to be talking to people like I'm, but I just kind of looked, looked at it and showed it to her. And we were both just, Oh God, you know, and then just kind of pretended everything was fine. And, um, and then that summer I was just, just a train wreck. And then I had to go back cause you know, my shoulder's healing and I almost, I almost the doctor, the physical therapist, the doctor, I almost just, can you, I wanted to be like, just write me a note that says I don't have to like go back, go back, yeah. you know, and I didn't like the soup still. So, but I go back and, uh, the first fire we go to is on the Shasta Trinity and we're staged at big bar and we hike into this one acre little fire. That's pretty much out. I think someone else said I ate it the night before and our job was to go mop it up. It was like a three hour hike in and the mission was like, just get in there, put it out. Don't get hurt. Cause there's no way to get out of here. It's like the new river drainage up by Denny off highway 299, the Trinity river area. Middle of nowhere. Middle of nowhere. Yeah. There's no real place to even sling anyone out. And so oh, it's like this. <laughs> yeah. And we, we get there, we mop up the fire. We stay the night. The next day we're packing up to leave. And luckily we were on like the one little bench with just enough opening in the trees, like anywhere. But one of the guys, a guy who I went to high school with, who graduated in Luke's class, fell and dislocated his knee, like his kneecap. Oh. You could hear it like snap. And his leg is like, looks like one of those football injuries you see, like his leg is deformed. He's on the ground screaming. And so we have to get him slung out of there. And the CHP ship came in less than an hour. And I remember I put him in the screamer suit, hooked him up with the carabiner. And I was like, I hope I did that right. And then pulled him out and hoisted him up, hoisted him up and off he went. And, um, we got, we hiked out like three or four hours and then we motelled up in uh, Weaverville. And I was like, Oh, like rattled because here's our first fire back. And another Susanville guy gets, he gets mangled. He's, he's okay. But so I remember all my wife and I'm rattled and, uh, we finished that, that season with a lot of turmoil on the crew. Um, and the, the superintendent wound up leaving away from the crew. So that was good. Um, they cut us down to 10. So we lost our type two IA and we're back to 10. 
and a high school buddy of mine took over as the captain and things got better that way. The crew mm -hmm. got better. Better leadership. Better leadership. And the way we would roll now is if we wanted to go out off forest with 20 people, we would take 10 people from the OC crew, but we'd still be type 2IA because we had the 10 people that we had on the crew were all qualified really highly. Like it was a good group of 10. And so that's how we started rolling. And then 2014 came around. My younger sister got into fire. So she got on an engine. She had been in wildlife before. She's a beast. Caught the fire bug. Yeah. She run and hike faster than me. Like she's, she's an animal. It's like five, 210 pound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so uh, she got on an engine and then we had a very busy 2014 season, some huge fires on the Lassen. Yep. Um, we had an incident on the Lassen, which I wouldn't call it a near miss, but it was scary. Maybe some other people might have seen it that way. And some of the younger guys got really spooked. And I remember this one guy was, was really spooked. And I, I thought this is one of the good things I did in my career. I thought, well, I remember being super spooked and no one said anything to me. So I went over and I was like, Hey, are you spooked? Yeah. That's okay. Like, here, it's okay. Like yeah. I, I'm spooked too. Like you're good. Yeah. And he was kind of like, Oh, and I was kind of thinking, I wish someone would have done that, done that to went me. during your experience in the hole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then it, during 2014 fire season, uh, my dad got this rare condition in his brain. He had a, he had a brain bleed. That, and so he got flown to renown and then to Stanford and spent like 40 days in the ICU, seven brain surgeries, oh, almost fuck. died and a little more trauma. I'm just like, Ugh. and I was, I was broken on that too. Cause my dad's like, you know, he's my hero. Yeah. So I'm just traumatized from this. And then my daddy's he very, very close to dying. When he was at Renown, they told him he was going to die. They told us he was going to die and we got him to Stanford and they wound up saving him. Um, and so I missed a lot of time that, that summer. And I was, uh, just the mental health stuff. It's all just compounding. Well, it's snowballing. It's snowballing. And that off season two, a, a good friend of mine was diagnosed with cancer. He was the guy earlier in the story that was running down the hill in front of me on that first near miss. Um, he got diagnosed with cancer and it wasn't going well. Um, you know, my dad is basically having to learn how to walk and talk again you know, get his mind back. And, um, I'm engaged to be married at this point. Um, but you know, the, and then the season's going on. So I eventually I marry back up with the crew and we go to the happy camp complex. And, um, at this point is I'm starting to wonder what I'm starting to think I'm losing my shit. Like you wonder what the hell you're doing here. Even. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, we spiked out on the happy camp complex for 14 days in the wilderness and it was pretty hardcore. And you know, I didn't see an automobile. I didn't hear music, very isolated. And then the day we got back, my wife and my parents and her parents went to the last nail works to plan our wedding guest list. Yeah. But I'm not in any condition to even be around people. I've been spiked out. I'm weird. <laughs> you kind of learn how to use a fork again. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're in the bar and it's loud and there's a live band and they're like talking about the list. Like, Hey, 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 hey. and I'm like, I'm, I'm having trouble being a person. I'm not, I'm You're not too there. distracted. There's they're, too much shit going yeah, on. Yeah. And they're all excited and I'm fighting back tears. Cause I'm just scared. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm freaking out. 
Yeah, that's, I, just, I wanna, you know, that's a telltale sign of PTSD. Oh right? yeah, huge. Yeah, and, and prior, I mean, in the earlier years, I just associated PTSD with like Vietnam vets or combat vets. I didn't. Yeah. I was just ignorant to the idea that it could be something that's going on with me. I always just thought I'm weird. I'm soft. I'm weak. I'm scared. Or maybe I have an anxiety disorder that has nothing to do with fire. Right. That's, those are the ways I was kind of looking at it. Um, You're attempting to self-diagnose. Yeah. I'm, I mean, yeah. an idiot. I, I just, I needed to, I just wanted to, I should have just screamed at the top of my lungs, you know, put up the white flag, but I just couldn't do it. Yeah. And I'm, so we get the, the guest list done. However, we, we have the wedding here in Reno, um, at the Grove, which is now closed. Nice place. Yeah. I think it's closed now. Yeah. Well, it was a nice place. Well, it yeah. is closed. Yeah. I think they took a hit from COVID, but yeah. 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 And it was, it was cool. We had a new year's Eve wedding. My dad was my best man, which was awesome. Cause I didn't think he was going to make it, you know, here he is standing there with me. Um, that's a hell of a fight. Yeah. It's a hell of a comeback. Big time. <laughs> um, so wedding was, was good. Um, going to go back to the crew. Uh, shortly after we got married, I think six to eight weeks, uh, wife's pregnant. So we're going to have a kid. I shoot in text. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we're going to have ourselves a kid. We find out that we go to our honeymoon in April. So we find out the night before the honeymoon, like, Hey, we're going to have a baby. And then we go down to San Diego. We get a beach house for like eight days and hang out. It's awesome. Um, go back to the crew. Uh, 2015. I can't remember. It was somewhat busy. There were some big complexes and um, we got a new apprentice on that crew guy from, Arizona's awesome guy became great friends with. Um, but I was starting to have total second thoughts about fire. Cause the, the, the kid aspect and, um, we went to a couple really nasty fires. We went to a fire called the Lowell fire on the NEU. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were, we dove down into the hole and on the other side of the river, um, some Cal fire guys and, um, a hand crew from the, or it was a hotshot crew from the Plumas and some other crews went down there and a former captain from the old hand crew that I was on is now on the Plumas crew. And, um, he gets burned over on that fire oh, wow. up on the road. Um, the fire came up the hill. They were trying to, they got blocked in by some vehicles and he got burned over, got some burn injuries. Um, so that night I had to, you know, call my wife and say, Hey, 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 something happened. It's not me. I'm okay. I'm okay. It's not me we're good. Um, but at the same time, it's my friend. So it sucks. And then right after that, we went up to the Modoc to a fire called the frog fire. And, uh, we got there. Um, and they had just, it was another fatality fire. Someone had got burned over the night before. And that day they had re recovered him and we got pulled off the line, went back to camp and it's like, I got to call my wife. And I say, Hey, this, this is a fatality fire. Yeah. It's not us. Okay. And I'm like, this isn't cool for me or her. This is horrible yeah. for her. And then I'm like, this guy, the human being father, he's gone. I don't know him, but I'm laying there at night, like crying. Cause, and I know exactly what's going on back home is the same thing that went on when, for us, when Luke died, like all his friends and family are getting the worst call of their life. So um, but I didn't have time to deal with it because the frog fire was ripping and we were going direct and it was it's like, you have no option, but to put it off and compartmentalize it. Yeah. 
and it just, it was dangerous. And I mean, not to go into all the little sub stories of that fire, but a lot of crap went on on that fire. That was sketchy. And we finally hooked it, um, went to the river fire up in six rivers. I had two near misses on a night shift with trees, very close calls, very, very close. Another guy did too. And I'm like, this is getting out of hand, and, you know, 10 night shifts in a row, kind of losing it. Um, then that fire season ends, baby is born. Life changes. Life changes. And I know I don't want to fight fire anymore, but I go back to the crew. 2016, first few fires um, that I, I cry when I leave home. I don't want to leave my son. I, um, it's not working out for me. I'm not having fun. I'm not. I'm, I'm pretending I'm having fun because I'm the funny guy. Comedian. Everyone Here's the funny. comedian. Yeah. So I'm joking around to cover up for the fact that I'm scared. I'm having anxiety. I'm depressed. I don't want to leave my family. The only way I know to make myself feel better is to joke around. And the only way I know to keep people from knowing is to joke around. And once you're the funny guy, you can't not be, you can't not be funny because people know like, Oh, what's up with West? He's not screwing around. So he, something's wrong. Yeah. So, um, I apply for a prevention job and or a detail on the Plumas and I get it. So I leave the crew in 2016, go over to the Plumas Greenville work center. Awesome place to work, working for an awesome battalion. Um, I really liked the job, but I was still, I was fighting a ton of fire. I was taking crew boss assignments. Uh, went to the Soberanus fire on a dozer boss training assignment. Um, season ended. I was tired of commuting. You know, it's 50 miles to Greenville, but for whatever reason, I applied for the job, got it. And so 2017, I work on the Plumas now as a patrol, beautiful, beautiful forest, wonderful, great people to work with. I'm fighting a lot of fire. There's an arsonist on the Plumas that year. It's hectic. I'm still taking crew boss assignments, even though I don't want to be on a crew, but that's one of my quals. So I'm taking out the Porterville crews, um, going down South and but I'm just a mess. And Internally. Having, yeah. Yeah. And I'm having, um, I'm starting to have memory loss at this point. Like this particular point? Yeah. Like in your career? In my career, like yeah. early 2017, I'm losing the car keys to the patrol truck. I'm getting lost driving around in Susanville. Red flag. Yep. Um, I'm forgetting the names of people I know in Susanville. It's so like I see my buddy's dad at the store. I know him. I can't remember his name. Um. I try to tell myself it's something else like, ah, oh, it's because I got a few concussions playing football, but dude, come on. Like, no, it's, no it's not. Yeah. It's, I just try to find other excuses. Um, and then that summer I had like two full on like PTSD flashbacks to events. Um, one where I woke up in the middle of the night on a fire as a crew boss and thought we were getting burned over in our spike camp, which we weren't. The fire was just glowing far away. And then another was in my office, um, listening to the lessons learned podcast. Yeah. There was a guy on there talking about his experience on the nut all fire and it just put me right back to it and I started crying. I locked myself in my office, freaked out for about a half an hour. Um, and the other patrol at that station at that time was a combat vet. And I just, after I freaked out at the end of the day, I went over and I said, Hey, like, this is what just happened. And he was like, dude, you have this problem. You need to go you need to get, get help. help. Yeah. So, yeah. um, at the end of that 2017 season, I knew that was it. 
and um i was i was down and out i didn't want to i was like i can't keep going in the field and fighting fire if i'm going to be waking up as a crew boss having flashbacks that's not burned over i can't be out here yeah so i applied to be a dispatcher um went into dispatch and um it's a hardcore job well that's another (laughs) thing too is like no one ever tells you you have to deal with all of the shit like you hear every bad call you hear every 911 you hear everything dude yeah yeah it's and in there um i had to go to an academy for a month the cal fire um ecc academy and i own because we ran cal fires cad system yeah and i was going to be answering 911s and medicals because susanville interagency fire centers like you do it all yeah you're you know? saying it was like the anomaly yeah of all the dispatch centers i know like um camino up on the el dorado i think they run out tourist cad too and maybe those guys so. answer some 911s i don't know how many, but, um, I answered a lot of 911 medicals, you know, get an ambulance or an air ambulance kind of thing in, in my hometown and a lot of rough ones, some with people I knew very terrible calls. And that was wearing on me and just the dispatch center is two blocks from my house. So I thought, Oh, I'm home. I'm not 50 miles away. I'm not on fires, but what am I doing? I'm working in an understaffed dispatch center. So I'm not really home. I'm two blocks away here I am working all these hours still have no home still have life. no home life. And during my first season in the dispatch center in the middle of the summer, my daughter was born. So now, you know, I've got two kids. Here's my wife at home, you know, handling all this business where I'm either at work or when I'm home, I'm a space cadet yeah. checked out. Um, and I was losing it. You know, I was like, I felt at that point, I felt like I didn't fit in anywhere. Like I felt, okay, I can't be in the field. I'm not really a dispatcher. I can't socialize with my friends and family outside of fire really. Cause I'm a weirdo. Um, and I was just really starting to tank and getting really dark to the point. It was bad, very, very bad to where my wife finally got me. Um, I tried EAP again. It, it didn't work. The guy just like, he had this book of anxiety disorders and he's like, tell me about yourself. I talked for, it was about like it. Joe blow clinician. I think he's probably a really good marriage counselor. I know, like, I think he's good at what he does, but he wasn't, he wasn't prepared for, for this. this. Yeah. yeah. And, okay. and he was just like, Oh, I don't think you have PTSD. You've got anxiety. Just, um, tr- download headspace and meditate for five minutes a day. No, no, no and, you need <laughs> and I said, to work. I said, no, there's an issue with wildland firefighters and PTSD. And he's like, Oh, I didn't know that, you know? Yeah. So that didn't work. And then my wife was like, okay, well you're going to go somewhere else. So she called a place in Reno and I started making the commute to Reno and that's kind of when it stopped the bleeding. Like it wasn't like it fixed me, but you're just putting pressure on the wound at that point. Yeah. And it, it was like, okay, this is starting to be, um, I started coming back to reality and like, okay. And, and, and that place, it did help out a lot. They were specifically trained for first responders. And I was like, I felt like I had a trust. I could trust these people. I could trust this woman. I can tell her what I need to tell her and she gets it. Yeah. And so that was huge. Dude, culturally competent clinicians. I always have a hard time saying that, dude. (laughs) Minda, Minda O's, she can say it just like that. She doesn't even like jumble it or anything, but that's a thing that she always brings up is like, we do not have culturally competent clinicians. No. For wildland fire specifically, dude. It's just like, it's an anomaly if we do. There's like a handful of them. I know there's a center here. Derek Reed runs it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's, uh, I don't have the card anymore. Or else I'd tell you what it was, but anyways. Yeah. And 
I feel like in a lot of ways, when I, when I finally started telling people I was having these problems, like the people very close to me, my parents, my, my wife, my good friends, my siblings, they all knew like this, this was no secret to them, but mm -hmm. like other friends and acquaintances were like, what? Because I was really, really, really good at putting on the funny guy front. And even though I was a, having all these problems, I still did pretty well on the fire line. I did better on the fire line than no. I did in real life. That's a problem. Yeah. I was way better making decisions, like getting stuff done. It was when I got off the fire line and I was alone or in the store or these driving, those sort of things is when I was having my, most of my problems or yeah. when I was sleeping because I was having bad dreams every night. Um, so 2018 rolls by. Um, the thing about the dispatch center is the summertime, it's just pure chaos. You're, you're in the seat, you're, you're go, 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 go. It's dark in there. It's cold in there. You lose track of this. It's like being in a casino. You lose track of time. <laughs> time you, traveling. Yeah. I mean, there's times, like I said, you don't get out of the chair to even go to the bathroom, you know, Jesus. and you're, you're talking a hundred miles an hour on the radio. Cause I'm monitoring, you know, the Lassen forest frequency, the BLM frequency, Cal fire, Lake Almanor fire, Susanville city fire, Lassen park. There's the 911 phone. There's people coming in and out. There's the business line. You're just, you got a hundred tasks to do. You're, you know, our, our map of DPAs, it's huge. It's like through the Doyle DPA confused. What a shit show. Oh, I worked out there for a long time. Yeah. I love Doyle. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. God, man, jurisdiction is a nightmare out there. Yeah. And you're like, you get a fire over there and you get one, one, one Latin long says it's NOD BLM. Yeah. No, it's Plumas. Oh no, wait, it's Carson Trucky Meadows, Carson City, you know, and yeah. like trying to learn all that. And like, I worked in dispatch for two and a half years and I feel like I only scratched the surface on what's really going on. Um, and as a, I don't like to get on a soapbox and give people advice, but if you plan on staying in wildland fire for a career, I would highly recommend to anyone to do detail in a, in a dispatch center. Cause like, I thought I knew a lot when I came in there, I didn't know anything. I mean, I was humbled like right away, just like the, right away. the amount of work that, yeah, that goes on in there and how on you have to be every day. And how just the tiniest little mistake dominoes everything. Oh yeah. One little staffing mistake on an engine that gets put in the wrong station and CAD is catastrophic, you know? So attention to detail is definitely key. Yeah. Big time. Probably not a good place for me considering I have the worst ADHD ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I made it through, you know, the 2018 season. Um, I, and I was starting to think at this point, okay, like I have PTSD cats out of the bag. Um, I don't really want to promote it. You can promote and dispatch super fast, but I don't want to promote. So that's a sign yeah. that I shouldn't be in fire anymore. I'm having all these signs. Um, I can't figure out how to just be husband and dad and firefighter. Cause there's not enough time for both. Nope. I'm just, I'm just over it. Um, but I can't, I'm scared to pull the trigger and try something new, but I know I want to teach. Um, 2019, I don't, is a pretty busy season. Um, I had a cancer scare that I didn't have it, but I had a super swollen lymph node that the oh, doctors shit. were all freaked out about in 2019. So I had to get all these biopsies and they kept the test kept being inconclusive or wrong. So it took 45 days for me to find out if I had lymphoma or not, which thank God I didn't, but that was freaking me out. And that, that buddy of mine who I had mentioned, um, had gotten cancer. He had passed away. Um, I'm sorry, man. Yeah. So I, I was still, you know, hurting from that. And then I was 
contributed to my fear. I was like, Oh, am I going to have this? Did I get lymphoma from fighting fire or whatever? But I mean, that wasn't the case, but it was 45 days of like pretty gut wrenching stress. Yeah. What's going to be the outcome of this diagnosis? Yeah. yeah. And then it finally, it turned out to be nothing. Um, and then, um, 2019 ended. And then of course COVID came around the corner in 2020. I knew I was at that point. I just, I knew I was done. I had had a shift where the end of 2019, where I got to work, it was dark. I left my kids at home in the dark. I left the dispatch center at like 12, one in the morning. And I was just like, this isn't it. This I'm over like, it. I am over it. I can't do it. Some people can do it. I can't. I knew I was done. It was over it. And, um, so I, I waited until the, um, teacher jobs started opening up in the spring and I applied for every single teacher vacancy in Lassen County pretty much. And then in April, I got an offer to teach eighth grade social studies and English oh, yeah. at the school that I went to the school where my wife teaches and the job I was basically getting was my old eighth grade teacher had retired a few years earlier and they had filled a spot a couple of times, but the people who took the job wound up moving on to other things. So here I am like working, going to get this job for, you know, this, my eighth grade teacher who's another very huge impact on my life. I'm going to take his job, you know? So I, yeah. that's what happened. I, I worked half of the 2020 season. Um, the hog fire was ripping. Um, it just started to wind down when I left. Um, and then the sheep fire came over from the Plumis and, and that's when we were first talking. That's when we first like, started talking. Cause I had sent my letter out. I yeah. wrote the letter during the hog fire. And then my last shift, which was another like 18 hour shift. I left it like midnight. I sent that letter out, walked out of the dispatch center and then never looked back, never looked back. And then you and I started to, a lot of people started talking to me and you were one of them. Um, and then, um, school got delayed a week because of the sheep fire. So that was ripping in a town. And I started having second thoughts on what I was doing. I'm like, I don't, I'm not a teacher. What am I, how I'm going to be a teacher, but this fire's ripping in a town and it was threatened. You feel you like know? you have a duty to protect your neighborhood. Now. Yeah. Like yeah. my in-laws house was evacuated. They were, they yeah, were, you're showing, you were sending me, texting me pictures. Yeah. Like with the fire front, like coming at you. Yeah. It was ripping. You know, we live in actual town in a pretty safe spot, but they did, they pushed an evacuation order within like three blocks of our house, but it never got into town yeah. that far. But the school got closed cause that was an evacuation spot. Um, my in-laws were evacuated, but there, I have felt 99.9% sure they were fine. Just my fear was like a little ember wash, but, um, we have some property where that fire was burning and I was kind of scared we we're going to lose it. But my first experience as a scared civilian, when a fire is coming into town, it was hard. Shit, it's a little bit different. It, it was huh? way different. Um, American river hotshots were there and I'm a friend with the superintendent and, you know, he was out there with his crew burning and doing stuff. Um, protecting, you know, people's homes, friends of mine. And I was like, I was totally detached from fire. And I was just like, Whoa, look at those heroes. Like they're doing really, I felt like, wow, those guys are crazy. And then I thought, well, I used to do that. Like what? Yeah. You know, it's it was kind of a, a different, total different experience, bit of an identity crisis. It was tough. Um, I explained to my, my new boss and my coworkers at the school, what was going on. Cause I, I'm not, I don't do the hiding stuff anymore. I just like, Hey, I'm having a really hard time. This is you're transparent tough. about it. Yeah, yeah. I just told them and they were so cool and, and supportive. Um, which every person that I've ever told that I had these issues was, I, it was all in my mind that I couldn't say this stuff. Yeah. It was all this fake 
reality. Yeah. This machismo reality I created where like, Oh, I can't talk about, I can't be scared. I can't have these problems. People are going to think what, you know, every person I've ever talked to fire or not that I've said, told this, any, a part of this story too, has just been like, Hey, that's good for you. It's okay. You know, no one's been like, Oh, what's your problem. Right. So why would I think that? I don't know. My parents weren't that way. My parents were, do you have a problem? Talk about it. It's okay. It's okay to cry. You know? Yeah. My dad's super tough, but he's like, Hey, it's okay to cry. I didn't, I didn't get it from them. I don't know where I got it. I don't know, man. I think it's this, this, this false reality that I, I want to say 90% of firefighters, wildland firefighters fall Mm -hmm. into. They put on this show where they're invincible, 10 feet tall and bulletproof, you know? And I don't know where it comes from or what part of our culture dictates that the, the prevalence of that, but it happens time and time and time and time and time again. I, I don't know where it comes from. And, but the good thing is, is that we're talking about this stuff now so we can get rid of that. We need to change the culture. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, dude, it's, it's gnarly, but yeah, dude, I mean, it, it, what's crazy is you just put out your entire fire career on a podcast, right? And the thing that stood out to me is that the shit never stops. It keeps snowballing and snowballing and snowballing. And one thing that I took away from your story is that you never truly have time to deal with it properly. That and you're also in that mindset that you don't want to show that weakness. You don't want to show that vulnerability and you don't want to seek help because you think you can fix it yourself. We're doers, right? We think we can mm-hmm. do everything. So all of this stuff, like what, what was the key thing that helped you? Um, some of the, the really key things, number one would be um, my wife just being, she became hardcore with me one day and was just like, this isn't happening anymore. Like you need to. Some tough love. You need, yeah. Like you, you, I'm not dealing with this crap anymore. Like I'm going to help you. We're doing it. Like this is it. Yeah. So that's what I needed. She talked to me like a hotshot captain or squad bus. Like, like when you're, sandbagging like no you're sandbagging get it together that was one thing um listening to that podcast of where that guy talked about the nut all fire yeah was the one that finally made me go i have ptsd this is it this and and i and i thought if he can talk because the nut all fire to me was super scary but i didn't want to tell people because most of the guys on lassen who scared or not they hit it pretty well and i was like i don't want to be that scared guy but when he said i was on a hotshot crew and it scared me. I thought, okay, well, me too, then fine. If if he can say it, I can say it. Yeah. Right. So then that was another um part of it. Um, I called my old hotshot captain who's the FMO of Lassen Park one time. And I said, dude, you know, talk. I'm pretty sure I cried on the phone. I was a mess. And I told him what was going on. And he just like he had my back, which I knew he would. I knew he that's why I called him, because I knew he would have my back. Yeah. Um my good buddy, the, the jumper up in McCall, I called him. I just started telling these guys, these really tough, hardcore dudes, you know, and I was started reaching out to them and they were all, they all had my back. So I'm like, okay, you know, those were kind of the key moments. And then, um, the memory loss thing was huge. You would think like, oh, the nightmares, the anxiety, the panic attacks. Memory loss me. is a sign. Dude. The memory a loss scared me the most out of all the symptoms. And like, I'm not a heavy drinker, but I did drink beer at that time in my yeah. life. I was somewhat of a drinker. And when the memory loss came, I stopped drinking. So that I stopped drinking like May of uh, 2017. I haven't drank since thinking, okay, my memory's going to come back. It's, it's beer. 
the memory didn't really come back at that point, but I felt better. So I go, okay, well, the alcohol I'm done with, I can't, I'm going to put this over here. And I I haven't gone back and I probably won't just because I feel like, I don't know how bad it was for me, but I know that having PTSD, you should probably not a good idea to, to mix booze. So I, I don't, I don't drink. Um, and then it was a slow process for me to, to do it, to come out and say these things. And then probably the final piece of the whole thing was sending the letter out. Cause when I knew once I sent that letter out, everybody knows. Cause I knew yeah. I sent it, I emailed it to like 130 people. Everyone that I worked with. Dude, that letter made some waves. Yeah. It got a pretty hefty reaction. No, it was good. Yeah. It needed to be said. And, and I felt like, okay, well now it's cats out of the bag. Yeah. Everybody that knows me is going to read this what fire or not. It's going to, I knew it would get out there. And then it was scary to do it. I almost didn't send it. I mean, I was sitting in the quiet dispatch center. It's, it's midnight. I'm like, do I send this? I've got all the e- people's names in there. Um, I, I didn't really proofread it as good as I should have. Cause afterwards I was like, oh, this thing's full of grammar errors. I'm an English teacher. Who is this guy? <laughs> um, so, You're probably just furiously just. Yeah. Cause I was typing, typing it late yeah. at night, you know, I was typing it um, really late at night. And uh, cause what had happened was um, our chief two of the force, a guy I know, he said, Hey, he was very supportive. I told him about a year in advance that I'm looking to get out. I'm going to try to teach. So I gave him a year's notice, like, Hey, I'm not going to be here that much longer. And then yeah. when it came time for me to leave, he was like, Hey, could you write a brief statement about why you're resigning to send to the region? Cause they're, they're people are curious about folks leaving. And that's how it started out. It was like a brief statement that turned into seven or eight rambling pages. I wasn't rambling. It was very exacting and to the point. <laughs> and, and I just, you know, I sent that out. And then after that, I felt like, that was the moment where I was like, okay, I, I don't care. I'll talk to anyone about this because I almost didn't send it because I was scared. And then the reason I did was because um, listening to that guy on the podcast talk about his experience helped me. Mm-hmm. Reading Aaron Humphrey's letter helped me. Reading Kevin Meekham's letter helped me. And I know um, I know Kevin and, and I know... Um, Humphrey, not as well, but I, I know him better now since he's, we've both left. We talked more, but, um, I'm a good dude. And I don't, the guy from Arizona who did the podcast, I've never met him or talked to him. I'm like grateful to him, but I don't, I don't know. I've never met him. Um, so I thought those guys helped me by putting their story out there. So my fear of sending it was like a negative reaction or people. That was fear too. Yeah. yeah. You know, fear like, Oh, I'm putting this out here. Where's it going to go? But my mindset was, and I put it in a letter as if, if the majority of the people don't like it and they think it you're wrong or whatever, I don't care as long as one person reads it and it helps them out. That was my goal is like, I'm going to hopefully somebody else who has a similar issue that I have will, will read this and, um, it'll help them. Yeah. And it did. And so for me, that's when, like, I feel like I'm very glad I sent it and I didn't get scared and, you know, back, out, back of it. out of it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing though. The, the amount of balls that it took to publish that and like actually put that out there. Dude, kudos to you, man. That's impressive. You, Meacham, Hump, the dude from Arizona. I have not listened to that podcast, but I'm going to now that yeah, you it's mentioned from it. 2017, um, pretty, um, is really good. And I just thought he was awesome. Like listening to him, I just, it was therapeutic just to hear it. Yeah. And that's the thing, dude, is we got, you never know who you're going to help and your letter helped hundreds of people, if not thousands. I know I published it, uh, through anchor point. I mean, the reactions were overwhelmingly positive, man. And if anybody wants to shit on that, 
then they need to look in the mirror. Yeah. Really do some soul searching, man. No, it's good advice. And that's a thing, man. It's like all of this stuff over the course of your career culminated into that letter. And now from your experience, that letter comes from your personal experience. And if it helps somebody, dude, that's, that's priceless. That's worth its weight in gold. So yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, man. But yeah, dude, um, other than that, I wanted to ask you about the, uh, the quick little, uh, sign you posted during the hog. Park. Oh yeah, <laughs> dude. I thought that was the funniest shit ever. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I, I live by, um, like I said, the dispatch center and then the Susanville dispatch center, um, to the West of it next door yeah. is the forest service yard, which we call it the fifth street yard. That was my station. My first year on the hand crew. And then to the east next door is uh, the BLM yard. So when people come, they check in at dispatch or they might be, you know, staging at the yard. And then they, when they drive out to the line, they drive by my house. Yeah. And uh, when I was on last, and I think it was 2008, we were on a fire by Santa Cruz and it was a Cal Fire show. And there was hundreds of, you know, thank you, Cal Fire signs. And there was somebody put up a sign that said, thanks, forestry text. The same. So I stole that idea from whoever that was. <laughs> and we saw it and we loved it. And then same thing was going on in Susanville during the sheep fire. And I knew I had seen American River hotshots drive by a few times. And I'm like, I'm going to put this up. Them. <laughs> so I left it up probably for three weeks. Thank you, forestry technicians. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, that's, I thought that was the funniest gouge. <laughs> I just loved it, man. But that's a good thing though. It's like, uh, things are changing. The thing changes are on the horizon, man, especially with grassroots going and doing their thing. Did you watch the testimony that Reva put out? Um, I've watched some of it. I've tried my best to stay updated on a lot of stuff that's going on, but I'm, I've just dove head first in this teaching thing. So yeah. my time is, is limited, but. Oh yeah, dude, my wife's a teacher. Mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah. You're just, you know, you're go, go, go. But, um, typically what I'll do is like, I'll, I don't have social media, but I will, I'll check your Facebook page for announcements. I check us hotshots. I, I like wildfire today a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know bill, but I like what he does. Bill's a good dude. I feel like he's on it, like with his oh, articles. Yeah. And so, uh, I look in on there. Um, and I'm just super impressed with, with what, with what grassroots is doing with, um, you know, your pod, your podcast, all the people that are actively pursuing change. Like for me, I know it, it took a lot for me to write that letter and tell my story, but I feel like, okay, I put it out there. I kind of put the microphone down and then now I'm over here a little detached doing my thing, but I'm just so impressed by the people who are every day in and out dedicating their, their time for this change, you know, oh, yeah. grassroots and, um, you know, Lucas at, at Mr. Ranch, Ranch and, um, all that stuff that's going on. I know how much time that takes and you have to be, a policy expert to, you have to know the rules to the game to do that. And I'm not, that was something I was bad about in fire. Like I wasn't always looking at the master agreement and looking at these yeah. rules and, and the way things operate. I just wasn't, I was lazy about it. And that's something I regret. That's another piece of advice I would give to people in fires, learn the rules to the game. And for, oh, yeah, for the people that are making petitioning legislators and putting their name out there to, to do this stuff, like you got to know the rules to the game. Oh yeah. And there's I'm, definitely rules. And I just, yeah, my hat's off to every, you know, that's my shout out to them for sure. Like, yeah. dude, I, I, that's another thing too. I just kind of want to bring this up, but mystery ranch in general, like Luke over there, dude, those guys do so much shit for the fire community. 
like that they don't tout they don't say anything they just act and mm-hmm. just kind of run shit from the back i love that man and you did an article for uh the backbone series yeah. too mm-hmm. yeah yeah lucas uh he sent me the uh the questionnaire and, and uh i filled it out and fired it back and he just did a great you know actually I didn't have a PC at the time, so I did it on the notes on my phone. Are you serious? Yeah, because like God, I, I couldn't, I, I didn't want to use my work computer for anything. Not outside, more, outside yeah. you know, especially being a new guy. And There's definitely fear of reprisal, man. Yeah, and, and I was like, okay, so I'm going to use my uh, my phone. I didn't have a PC at home. I'm not much of a caveman. So I, stood <laughs> into my, I answered all my notes on my phone and emailed it to him, and then he tightened it up. And yeah, I thought, I thought it was cool. And I read all, you know, the other ones on there and. No, it's good shit, man. I, I definitely dig it. Like what they're doing, they're doing the whole scholarship thing. And like anybody out there listening, dude, like take an opportunity to do that. Same with Smoky Generation, man. Mm-hmm. If you're, it's going to better your career, better your life or fuel your passion, dude, fucking do it, man. Yeah. For sure. And um, with my letter too, because I had, my wife had read Hump's letter right when it came out. She saw it first yeah. and she showed it to me. And then when I was getting ready to resign, um, I only knew kind of who hump was. And I talked to him on fires only professionally. I'm sure he didn't know who I was cause I mean, he's a hotshot soup and you know, I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't on like a friendship term with him. I just knew who he was. Um, but a soup of another crew is a good friend of mine. And I said, Hey, do you have this guy's number? I want to call him mostly cause I was scared to, to transition out. I didn't know how I was going to do. So I called him over the summer, maybe about a month before I was going to leave to ask him for pointers and how do you feel? And he was telling me how great he felt since he left you know, and then I asked him, well, your letter, I was kind of thinking about writing one, but I'm, you know, I was kind of scared where he's like, just, you know, do it. Like, yeah. what do you have to lose? Put it out there. So like, I was kind of, you know, I was inspired by his letter for sure. Yeah, dude. And that's the thing too, is like to affect change. I mean, that's like your letter, Hump's letter, Meekham's letter. They're all building upon a foundation, right? For change. Because if shit doesn't change in this, in these organizations, we're not going to have a fire service anymore, man. No. And, and uh, especially with what's the shit that you've experienced, man. Holy shit, man. <laughs> yeah. And, and my thought too, even though I, there was a lot of anger in my letter towards the agency, like I felt like I also probably wouldn't have written it if I didn't care and want to see the change. Cause there's so many things I do love about it's the, a fed, the federal fire agencies and I don't want to see them tank. Yeah. But it, it's not sustainable right now. No, it's not. That's the thing, dude. It's like, it's, it hands down is the best job that I ever had. But unfortunately it was, in my opinion, it was just that it was just time in my life where I couldn't keep going, doing this same thing over and over again. And I'm pretty sure you got pretty similar sentiments about that. Yeah. And I think, I think if I would have led, led a different life and maybe stayed single with no children, probably what would have happened was I probably would have stayed in, in fire longer maybe try to um, redeem my jumping failure and do all these things. But I think I probably still would have done the um, hide my emotions, hide my fear, all that until I really crashed. Right. Cause if I was a, a single person living alone, it probably wouldn't have been noticed as well. And I probably, this is my guess. I probably would have tanked pretty hard if I had, but I, I, I can't, I can't picture myself staying in fire as a married person with children. I know people do it and I don't want to knock them, but I was like, dude, this it takes is, a lot this of is work, impossible. Man. Like I cannot, I can't figure this out on my days off. I'm nervous. Am I going to get a call? Um, if we go to the lake 
and we're supposed to be having fun, but then there's thunder cells. Like I'm, yeah, you I mean, can't go. I'm checked out. Or if I go on a hard fire assignment and I come home and we're supposed to go out to dinner or do something fun, but the assignment was insane. Yeah. You I'm not, I don't have energy. I'm losing. Yeah. So Jeez. it just didn't work, man. I, I don't know. I know it put a strain on my relationship with my wife. And now that my son is born, that Levi's born, dude, I, I don't, I couldn't go back. I don't think I could. Yeah. I, I thought of, cause I have walls and, um, they asked me, you know, do you want to AD this summer? And I put in to be on the list for the dispatch center. Um, I don't know if I'm going to do it or not, but as far as going in the, out in the field, no, like I thought about it for a second because my old saw partner came back to Lassen and took a captain job. He's a captain on the Plumas and a battalion over there. He's super solid, a very close friend. He's moved back to Susanville and I was like, Ooh, I could go fill in on Lassen and, and run saw when he's the captain and all. And I thought for a minute, that sounds fun. 90% chance I'd go on a fire and that's what it would be. It'd be fun. Yeah. There's a 10% chance something terrible could happen or whatever, you know, that's, you have to I mean, keep those reliving are, those traumas that yeah. you experienced. Yeah. And those are guessing numbers, but at the same time, like something could happen. It's a dangerous job, it's, man. And, and what would it be? I could go out there and get mangled, get killed. Somebody else could all for what? Like this paycheck and this fun. And I'm like, I don't think so. So I might go into the dispatch center a little bit here and there mm-hmm. for a little extra money. And, but if I go in there and it's causing issues and I'm getting weird, I'm just, no, sorry. Yeah. It's not you can pick and choose your yeah. assignments. Yeah. So I don't know. For the most part this summer, I just want to be a dad and husband and <laughs> have a summer off for the first time in a while. Yeah. It's strange adjustment though. That's for sure. Oh yeah. And I haven't decompressed. I haven't, I haven't adjusted because fire season was ripping when I left fire season was affecting school. Um, so we were delayed and it was a scary fire. And now I go into COVID teaching Yeah, and that's another stressor in itself. The remote learning. Uh, well we did in person in the beginning, but it was kind of this split, hybrid split the class up, um, into another room with the teacher's aid. And then I'd have some, and then we were short on, um, you know, the instructional aids. And so, I wound up taking my whole class in the basketball gym and then, which is a tough place to teach with the echoes and the heaters. It's not conducive to learning. It's tough. Um, It's either too hot or too cold or whatever. Um, And then we got shut down for COVID um, around Thanksgiving, remote learning till like middle of January or early January back in the gym. And then after spring break, I finally got all my students in the classroom but it's been really hard on them oh, and they're, yeah. it's, they're stressed and it's tough for them. And so I went from full speed fire to full speed first year teaching during COVID. And now that the summer's coming up, it's going to be my chance to see uh, the forest from the trees. Yeah. And I'm going to have to decompress this whole year of teaching and this, all those years of fire. And I'm, I'm excited, but I'm kind of scared. I hope that I'm able to like, do it. Okay. You know, get, yeah. I should be, but same time. It's like, man, I've got a lot of things to think about when June 11th, when school's over. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, that's the thing, man, is there's a lot of resources out there. And I think that people have like that, that fear yeah. kind of in them like, Oh, how am I going to be perceived if I go? And it's Northern Nevada peer support network. It's like a coalition of like Chucky Meadows dudes, Reno fire, BLM Forest service. And they all run this place down here in Reno. But I mean, that's like one of those resources that you can, that people can use out there. And I cannot stress enough to say, but Hey, don't hesitate to use these resources if you need them. 
Probably you do. I do. It's not really. Yeah. Not you. I'm saying. No, but yeah, but I, I feel like just people know, in general too. Yeah, and and something I've learned too, like in the past, I was always afraid to say I'm having these issues, like these mental health problems, because I I thought not only because some people say, oh, I don't care what people think about me, whatever. And there's people like that. I care. Like I care. I want people to like me. I'm that's a human trait that I have. Yeah. And so I was it's afraid. Part. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was afraid to to say these things, and then and. Another reason I was afraid is I thought it would affect future career. Like, oh, well, if, if he has PTSD, maybe he shouldn't be out on the fire line or he shouldn't be dispatching or he shouldn't be a teacher because he, this is a problem. But what I really kind of learned from telling people about it is first off, it's a very common problem. Yes. You don't have to be a first responder to have it. You don't have to be a vet. It can be any number of things. Um, any other mental health issues are common, anxiety, depression, all that stuff. Um, is common. And once I started kind of figuring it out and navigating it, I realized like, yeah, I have this, it's not going to go away, but I can function just fine. Like I'm not crazy. Right. Like I go to my new job and I'm, I'm fine. Like I can operate in the classroom. I get along with the kids. I get along with my coworkers. I'm not like freaking out. Like I'm, I'm good. I'm yeah. okay. It's there are moments in my days where it's hard or in the evenings, I still have nightmares sometimes or whatever, but, um, it's not a disability for me. There were times when it was like yeah. probably 2012 when I was melting down and losing it or different, different points in my career. Like after shortly after Luke died, certain incidents. Yeah. I was no good, but um, now like that I've stopped the bleeding and I'm, it's getting better every day and I'm finding what works. And the biggest thing is talking about doing what I'm doing right now, telling my wife if I had a bad call at work or a bad day at school, it, just acknowledging emotions and not trying to tough it out. Well, instead of being out of control of this situation, you you've recognized it and now you can take the steps to take control of it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and to learn, it's a huge thing just to learn. You're not alone for whatever reason. I lied to myself and oh, I'm the only one that has this right. Like, yeah. No, 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 no you're not just feeding yourself a line of bullshit. Yeah, at that point. You know, I lied to myself for years and, um, but yeah, I feel, I feel like I w sometimes not wasted a lot of years, but I feel like, man, why didn't I, I if I could have just done this a little better back then, it, it, I wouldn't have gone. Like when you get lost on the road, you take that wrong turn yeah, and then you have to backtrack forever. Kind of like I did coming here because I turned my phone off and I was just like, oh yeah, I know where to go. <laughs> oh, oops. <laughs> like I got off on the wrong road and then uh, for years and it now, I mean, I'm back on the right track, but I'm like, oh, I wish I just would have looked at the map real quick and stayed on the right you know but yeah you can't dwell on it i guess no you gotta let that shit go and then now that you're on the right path you gotta keep moving forward mm -hmm. yeah man and there's i know there's hundreds of other people out there you know experiencing similar things and like i said man just don't be afraid to reach out man like even talking to your peers like you and i are talking to you sometimes that helps it does and, and talking the cool thing about fire is you can meet people in person for the first time yeah they fought fire you already you, have a common you, already, you already know each other. Yeah. And, and I noticed that in teaching too. Like I've met people who are teachers that from far away and I'm like, oh, there's these things we understand, you know, and then in fire you have common ground and it's, it's really easy to, to trust and feel comfortable. And that's why like some of the grassroots folks that I talked to, I didn't know them. I never met them in person, but I'm like, I'm fine. I'll, I'll share this info with you. Cause I, I trust you. I know, yeah. I know you, we know each other already, even though we really don't. 
No, it's good, man. And that's the thing, the whole uh, common ground thing. We speak the same language. Mm-hmm. It's important, man. It's definitely important. But yeah, man, it was a hell of a story. And I hope it gets you on the podcast again. But before we go, I'd like to give you an opportunity to give a shout out to a homie, hero, or a mentor. Oh, man. I See, I wrote some stuff down. I was going to do more of a, a general one because there's so many folks I don't want to like Humphrey did this too. I don't want to skip anyone. Uh, <laughs> See, Humphrey should be taking notes. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what he did though. He was like, like oh. Mike West over here. <laughs> yeah. So obviously my wife, number one and, and our children, um, my parents, my siblings, my sister, Molly, she, um, she works. Well, it used to be MTDC. I learned. It changed. I learned yesterday. This is how dumb I am that it's the Missoula tech and development center. Is that what it is now? I think that's what it is. Or it's the national tech and development center. It used to be Missoula tech. Yeah. And development. So she'd been working there forever and I didn't even know the right acronym, but she's just, (laughs) she's a beast, you know, my sister Molly and then, um, my grandmothers and my friends that I grew up with every person I fought fire with. So if if I worked with you from any agency from just a shout out, um, Eagle A can crew, last and hot shots, LNF engine 84, the folks I worked with on the Plumas, Susanville interagency fire center, all the people that, um, that came through there um, to, to Luke Sheehy. Uh, it's, uh, it's his birthday today. He would have been, he'd have been 36 years old today. Um, so yeah, definitely shout out to Luke Sheehy and his family. They, I feel like they actually helped me out a lot. I know as friends were supposed to support that way, but they, yeah. their strength and toughness really, um, really helped me out. And so shout out to Luke and his family. Um, and then to to you and everybody at grassroots and all the folks who are pushing for this change, definitely a big shout out to them for their work. And if I skipped anybody, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, um, my extended family and my wife's huge extended family too, because that's we both have huge extended families, and that's really important. So oh yeah, families. Everybody, one, dude. Everybody in the families of me and my wife immediate and extended that I definitely love you. And I wouldn't, wouldn't have made it through all this madness without, without all their love. So. Oh yeah, man. And then shout out to Luke, man. Yeah, Cheers to your for brother. sure. All right, man. All right. Thanks for coming on the hey. show, dude. I appreciate it. Yeah. Hopefully down the road, we can do it again. Oh yeah, dude. I'll get right. you on here again. All righty. Once again, man. Thank you. Appreciate yep. it. Yep. We'll see ya. And boom, there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with my good buddy, Mike West. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experience, man. I hope it helps a lot of people, man. Uh, I know that we deal with a lot on the day-to-day basis and we never really truly have time to decompress and confront these issues that we have. It's like we don't have time to. Just want to let you guys know that uh, Mike's lived it firsthand and I know a lot of you out there can relate to his story. And I hope and I hope and I hope that it helps somebody and it encourages them or inspires them to reach out to their friends, family, a peer supporter, a mental health clinician, 
just ask for help if you guys need it. I cannot stress that enough. Let's break that stigma. And this whole month's uh, set of episodes is going to be dedicated just to that. So with that being said, I also want to say that today is uh, May 2nd, and that is Luke Sheehy's birthday. Uh, he was an inspiration to many, and he was one of Mike's best friends. So with that being said, I want to give a quick uh, pay uh, some respects to the Sheehy family. Uh, your son was a inspiration to many, many people and uh, one of Mike's best friends. So I want to give all of you listeners out there a little reminder to live like Luke. Special shout out to our sponsors. We've got Mystery Ranch, built for the mission and makers of the finest damn fire packs in the game. Go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out the Backbone series while you're at it. And hey, if you got a good, a good story, well, throw your name in the hat. You could win a $1,000 scholarship from the Backbone series. We got Hotshot Brewery, purveyors of the finest damn coffee on the West Coast. And they are helping rep that firefighter culture every damn day. It's kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause. Go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check them out. Next up, we got the ass movement. Yeah, the anti-surface shitting movement. Love what you're doing over there, booze, man. Keep it up. And for listeners to this episode, this podcast in general, actually, uh, if you guys go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement, well, you can get yourself 10% off by using code anchor point ass 10 all one word at checkout and last but not least we got the smoky generation also known as the american wildfire experience bethany you have a kick-ass organization going on over there keep it up go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check them out you guys know the drill stay safe stay savage we'll catch you on the next one peace out